Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Every week, you're faced with a decision. A decision whether you're going to believe or not believe the person that shared their story or encounter on this show. And this week is no different. However, we do discuss some sensitive and graphic content that you may not deem appropriate for your children to listen to. So I highly encourage you, if you have little ears that are listening to this show right now, to maybe pause it and listen to it first before you allow them to hear what we discuss on tonight's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast, and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge, and I blow his head off. And I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over, and there are two small, gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I saw three long, bony fingers with, like, claws on the end reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. It's almost like they're unzippering our reality. They stick their heads through it, and they look around, and it looks like it's the coast is clear, they step through the rest of the direction. If you take the head, you get the whole package. If you don't take the head off, then what happens is they disappear. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. But then I look over to my left, on the far side of the room, and there's Jack. And he's got blood on his face he looks at me and he just says one word oops I've been killing ETs longer than most people have careers I reach my hand into this bush and I touch air couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster Okay, I'll reload it! Welcome to the show, everybody. You are listening to The Confessionals, a proud featured show of blogtalkradio.com. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. 
If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. Now, this week's show, we have Zachary King coming on, and Zachary King is an ex-Satanic high wizard. He comes on to share how he got involved in this, what he did, and how he got out of it. So sit back and relax, because tonight's show is going to blow your mind. Let's get to it right after this. Okay, tonight I have a great guest coming on, Zachary King. Zach, how you doing, man? All right, Tony. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, we had a little mishap here. We actually started recording this interview before this, and the whole system went berserk. And uh, we're trying this again the second time around. Hopefully, we can get it all the way through. Uh, but Zach, I've referenced you several times throughout uh, my career in podcasting. And people out there have always been asking me, to have you on because I've referenced your story and things like that. So uh, tonight, I'd like for you to just share your testimony of how you got involved in Satan, Satanism and uh, how did it progress throughout your life and then how did you exit it? So basically, the whole the whole story, the stage is yours, my friend. Could you start sharing with us how this all came about? Sure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Well, I got started um, when I was 10 years old. Prior to being 10 years old, I had watched every movie I could find on magic and fantasy because, you know, things like levitation. In a movie, you'd see levitation. When you're 10 years old, levitation means you can fly. So, like, Superman could fly, but that's levitation to me. And I asked my Baptist preacher, is magic something you can really do? And he said, no. And I asked my parents, because, you know, when you're 10 years old, your parents know everything. And I asked them, is magic real? And they said, no. And it's like somehow uh, these three people missed the 33 verses in the Bible where God tells you not to do magical things. Now, how, what I equate this to is if it was impossible to lie, thou shalt not lie would not be in the Bible. You know, if it was impossible to kill somebody, Thou shalt not kill would not be there. So if it was impossible to do magic, God wouldn't tell you in 33 places, don't do magical things. You know, there's um, a verse in Galatians and in Revelation that tells you the people that will not inherit the kingdom of God and people that commit sorcery is in there. Well, if it was impossible to commit sorcery, those people would inherit the kingdom of God. So, but, you know, that was lost on these people that are telling me magic's not real. So, but I was thinking, you know, parents aren't right about everything. I mean, surely you remember some incident as a kid where your parents were wrong. You, you may have asked your dad about something and he said no. And then you found out later, well, wait, that's not true. My dad was wrong. So, you know, that, that's, how, that's how I equated that. So... Uh, and up until this, you know, when I was 10 years old, I was in the fifth grade. And the very first day of uh, of class, this kid came up to me and he said, meet me in the bathroom on the first break and you'll have a good time. Uh, I, I don't know what that's all about. I'm 10 years old. So 
I go in the bathroom at 1020 and there's 49 other kids there. And they said, we're going to play the Bloody Mary game. Does anybody know how to play? Nobody knew how to play. And so they said that we're going to turn out the lights. We're going to chant this phrase into the mirror. And if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will appear in the mirror. Like, all right. So it's fascinating. Sure. New experience. Sure. All into it. So we turn out the lights. Now there's boys and girls in the bathroom. Turn out the lights, chant the phrase, scary face appears in the mirror. And 49 kids run screaming out of the bathroom in a panic. I mean, it's like, it's record time that 49 kids make it through that tiny door outside. Um, One child, we'll call him an idiot. And we can call him an idiot because it's me, (laughs) stayed in the bathroom. I thought this was the most fascinating thing in the world. I made this happen. I chanted a phrase like seven times or 11 times. and, And this face appears. I did that. No, okay, yeah, I did it with 49 other kids, but I did that. Well, eventually, we did this every day. Eventually, they sent notes home because two kids got really badly hurt. Like one kid got a broken arm, one kid got a broken leg, got trampled in their exit, uh, you know, their haste to leave the bathroom. So they sent these notes home that said if we were caught playing this game, that we'd be suspended for three days. Uh, My dad had been a Marine for a while. And uh, I was scared to death of my dad. He was a huge man. And uh, I was like, man, I am not getting suspended for anybody or anything. I am not going to be trapped at home with my dad for three days, punished because, you know, I'm being suspended for three days. And uh, so I decided, you know, the safe bet would be for me to do this at home. Because that makes all the sense in the world. Let me bring this demon that I don't know is a demon, but let me bring this demon home. So. You know, just have it in my house. And uh, so I'm playing the game like multiple times a day. When I was at school, I only played it once a day. When I took it home, I'm playing it in the morning when I wake up, you know, before I go to school, when I get home from school. Um, you know, when I go in to take my bath at the end of the night, I'm, I'm, I'm playing it then. Um, I'm playing it multiple times during the night. If I wake up to go to the bathroom, I'm going to play it. I mean, it's, I'm playing this game like 15, 20 times a day. Every time I play, I get the scary face. Well, now I'm starting to wonder, is magic something I can really do? So I'm thinking, all right, what kind of spell can I do where I can find out if magic works? So I was thinking, you know, I get a, a pop quiz every Friday, but I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want the teacher to get injured or anything. What kind of spell could I do? Money would be cool. If I could get some cash, that would be awesome. So I figured no one gets hurt in that. Just somebody might lose some cash. Somebody might find some cash. That's fine with me. And uh, especially if I'm the person that finds it. So I do a spell for money. And then the next day I go out. So I did it on Friday. On Saturday, I go out to play. And I found a can of tennis balls. I opened it up. And there's a $5 bill in it. And I'm like, well, this is pretty awesome. Now, this is 1976. So candy bars are 20 cents. Um, comic books are 15 to 20 cents. Penny candy is a penny. Now, these are the most important things to me. Just in case you're not able to ascertain this, I'm a fat nerd. So <laughs> I, 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 I decide that, uh, you know, this is the greatest thing. But this could have been a coincidence. 
So the next Friday, I did the spell again. Saturday, I went out. I found a $10 bill on the side of the road. All right, eight days, $15. I'm doing pretty good. I can get a lot of my treasure at this. But this still could have been a coincidence. I'm a hard sell. So the next Friday, I do the spell. But this time, I do it in the bathroom. And I do my spell. Halfway into it, I stop. I do the Bloody Mary chant. The face appears. And I make sure whatever this is knows that I'm doing a spell for money. I complete my spell for money. Next day, I go out. I'm in a big unpaved parking lot. And I find what looks like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. Later that night, I'm at home. Everybody in the house is asleep. I'm in my room. Lights are out. My head's under the sheets. I've got a flashlight in my mouth, and I'm unraveling all these rubber bands. When I unravel everything, it looks like Monopoly money because I'd never seen a $100 bill. And when I unraveled them all, I had 10 $100 bills. So I have a 1000 bucks. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that magic is real. This is something I can do every day for the rest of my life. And just doing it for one year means that my fantasy car at that time was a Lamborghini Countach. That meant that I could buy in one year, I could own a Lamborghini Countach. In three years, I could be a millionaire. Now, I'm 10 years old. I'm not thinking of the nuances of everything. I'm not thinking... My dad has to drive me to the Lamborghini store. My dad has to explain to somebody how it is that I earned $365,000. I have to explain to my dad how I got $365,000. Keep in mind that I I can't drive the car. So that means my dad has to drive my Lamborghini Countach. I don't want that to happen either. Um, My dad's going to have to get insurance on it. I don't even know who would insure a Lamborghini Countach. So, I mean, there's all these things, you know, you're 10 years old. You don't think of these things. So, you know, I've got all these things I'm thinking of, but I know that I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. This is like the most awesome thing. So I start doing magic on on the regular. I mean, I'm like pretty much every day, but I'm not just doing it for money. I'm doing it for a lot of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm buying all kinds of things. And my parents bought me a lot of stuff, so it was easy for me to hide my treasure in my room. Like, I was a clothing horse. I loved, like, nice clothes. I had a gigantic closet that my mother kept pretty stocked. And I loved shoes, and my mother bought me tons of shoes. But she had tons of clothes and tons of shoes, and she just kept me well-stocked in the same stuff. So I could easily, if she's got me 15 pair of shoes, I buy five extra pair. Now, she's not going to notice five pair of shoes that she didn't buy. She doesn't even keep track of it. She would buy, you know, giant, like from Sears, they'd offer you like a box of clothes or a box of shoes. And she would just buy that. She didn't even know what was in it. She just, here's a box of stuff. You can have this. You know, so she didn't know that a lot of the stuff that I had was stuff that I bought, you know, or like it would just be, she'd take me to Goodwill and let me go through like the albums or the books and let me just buy whatever I wanted. Here's 20 bucks, buy whatever you want. So she doesn't know that 
the, you know, all the Kiss albums I bought or the Alice Cooper albums I bought or, you know, whatever band it is that I'm buying, uh, Black Sabbath, she doesn't know that I'm not getting it at Goodwill. You know, for all she knows, that's where I'm getting it from. She doesn't know that I've gone to the local record store and paid full price for all this new stuff because I've got all this money. She's got no idea. And, you know, I'm just buying as much stuff as I want all the time. And when I was 11 years old, I became the victim of a sexual assault at school at the hands of a female teacher. Now, the teacher told me that I liked it. It was my idea. And if I told anybody, I would get in trouble, that I would be suspended. Um, I would probably go to jail. Um, you know, I'd be expelled. Uh, I would go to jail. This was um, my fault. And th there was no one I could tell. So I didn't have any knowledge of sex whatsoever. I did not know what had happened to me. And I also didn't have the vocabulary to describe any of this without using dirty words. And I already knew I, I accidentally used a dirty word when I was a kid and got really punished for it. So, and this woman's telling me I'm going to be in trouble. She's a teacher. Why would she lie to me? So I know that I can't tell anybody. So the only thing to me that gave me comfort and solace was more magic. So I'm withdrawing into myself. On the one hand, I withdraw further into myself. On the other hand, I became a total ass. You know, like I rebelled against everything. Like, you know, there was no one I could tell what had happened to me. And I just became just a, a hellion for my parents. You know, years later, I asked my parents, when did I, when did I rebel? When did I come out and become like, you know, just a little jerk that, you know, you, you then knew me as. And they said, well, when you were 11. And I was like, oh, well, there's a reason for that. So um, then when I was 12 years old, there was a kid, you know, I used to play at 10 years old. I was playing D&D. &D. I was playing campaigns of, of Dungeons and Dragons every weekend. And, you know, I was doing magic in that, but I mean, that's a game, you know, no one suspects that that's real. And what a lot of people don't know, you know, Dungeons and Dragons came out in 1974. It was created by two guys. The one guy, his name was Gary Gygax. What an awesome name. Now, what's the name of the second guy? No one can tell you because his name's not as cool as Gary Gygax. So, um, Gary Gygax and his partner, whoever that was, um, went to uh, witches and Satanists back in the day and said, hey, we want to make our game as authentic as possible. Can you give us real magic spells? So, yes, they did. So the original spells that were in D&D &D were real. So, you know, when you're playing the game, and I was always a wizard or a sorcerer, the magic is real. It's a real magic spell. So, you know, I'm doing these things, not realizing these are real, but, you know, that's what I, I'm always a magical person because that's the most fun thing in the world. So at 12 years old, there had been a kid when I was 10 years old that stopped hanging out with us. And we thought he moved because he dropped out of school and we just never saw him. And then suddenly he comes back and we're like, dude, you move back to, to town? And he was like, I, I never moved in. I never moved away. He said, my, my parents took me out of public school and put me in private school. 
but put me in uh, homeschool. And, um, you know, and I, I play D&D every weekend with this other group that they also believe magic is real. And their house is really cool. You guys should come over and check them out. So I went over and checked these people out. Now, at my house, we watch uh, a 19-inch TV. And in my, my, mine and my brother's bedroom, we have a 13-inch black and white TV. Well, in, uh, in this um, house that they have, it's, um, they have like a 50-inch projection screen TV, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah. And, you know, at my house, I can watch uh, a G-rated movie and a PG-rated movie if my dad has vetted it first. And that's all the movies I know that exist. But over at this other house, they have R-rated movies. And they have X-rated movies. And they have triple X-rated movies. And they've got triple X-rated movies that have kids in at my age. And I'm like, I didn't know things like that existed. And they told me that, you know, you lost your power when you were 11 years old. And what happened to you was bad. And that should have never happened to anybody. But here's a chance to get your power back. Now you can do that kind of activity anytime you want. No one can tell you no. And if you feel uncomfortable, you can tell anybody else no that you want to like okay and so that you can watch it anytime you want we'll film it we'll also make you famous in those films I was like, oh this is cool so i'm not realizing that i'm being re-victimized every weekend i'm thinking i'm the luckiest kid in the world i'm 12 years old and i'm getting laid every weekend this is awesome so i'm doing that um you know at my house my dad, my parents, they were the no police. Dad, there's a new movie coming out this weekend. Can I go? No. Dad, the Moody Blues are coming. Can I? Nope. Dad, nope. After a while, you just look at my dad. Nope. But over here, hey, there's a new movie coming out this weekend. Uh, can we go see that? Sure. And let's go to that during the day. And that night, we're going to go watch the Moody Blues play. You know, at my house, you could have three meals a day and a snack if mom's in a good mood. But over there, you want to live on Snicker bars and potato chips for the day? Sure, why not? You know, anything you want to do, you can do. You know, it's like I, they introduced me like, you know, what's great after sex and after eating a good meal? Smoking a cigarette. You know, what's, what's great after, you know, you you would like to eat, but you're just not quite hungry enough to eat. You know, I don't know why that is. Well, here, why don't you smoke a joint? Then you'll you'll have the munchies and you'll be able to eat plenty. You know, anything you want to do, anything you want to try. You know, my my dad started accusing me of doing drugs when I was like ten years old. I, I don't think he knew the names of drugs. He would just he would say, "Are oh, you on the dope?" I'm thinking, "What's the dope?" I don't even know. And he knew marijuana, but he didn't know the term pot. Uh, he knew certain phrases, but not everything. And it was funny because to me, I didn't know what dope was. I didn't know at, when he first started asking me what I was doing. 
I had no idea. But before I turned 13 years old, I was on pretty much every drug known to man. Before I turned 13, I was an alcoholic. Before I was 13, I was smoking cigarettes. You know, there was all these things I was doing. You know, when I was, um, I was about to turn 13, this older kid said, did you know this is a satanic coven? And I laughed it off because I was like, ah, there's no way this is a satanic coven. I've seen all these creepy movies, you know, that they play ominous music when something bad's about to happen or when the bad guy's on the screen. And in every satanic coven, there's good guys and there's bad guys. And everybody that I'm with is a good guy. I mean, everybody lets me do whatever I want. The bad guy in my life is my parents. My dad is the bad guy, you know? And, you know, so I'm just like, you know, there's no way it's a satanic coven. But, you know, after a couple of weeks, this kind of bothered me. So I went to an adult that I trusted and I said, hey, uh, you're going to laugh. I got a funny comment for you. I heard this was a satanic coven. And I'm looking at him and he's not laughing. And my stomach kind of drops and, you know, my heart drops into my stomach. I'm just like, "Uh oh, and uh, he's like, it is. And I was like terrified. I was like, am, am, am I a member? And he's like, no. Would you like to be? And I thought, if I quit, I'm going to lose all my privileges. You know, and I'm, I know you're thinking, what privileges do you have? Well, I'm 12 years old. I smoke cigarettes every day. I think you had to be 18 back then to buy cigarettes. I'm 12. You know, I'm, uh, I'm getting drunk pretty much every day. You got to be 19, I think, back then to buy booze. I'm still 12. I'm addicted to pornography. I'm addicted to masturbation. I'm certainly addicted to sex. Well, being addicted to pornography, you got to be 18 to buy porn. I'm still 12. And I'm having sex every weekend. I quit this coven. Where am I going to go to have sex? So I'm like, uh, what do I got to do to join? He's like, well, there's 13 steps to join, and you've done almost everything already. All I had left to do, I had to slice my left thumb and bleed onto a document and sign it in three places in my own blood. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. Jesus died for everyone, but not me. And the final page of a five-page document, I agreed to sell my soul to the devil. Uh, all right, I can do that. I mean, as it is, Satan's given me everything I want. Who's not given me everything I want? God. Satan doesn't seem to be this bad guy that he's portrayed to be. Satan's pretty cool. I mean, if I want pizza or a hamburger or anything I want, and I don't want to eat my vegetables, Satan says, okay. If I want to look at porn, I can. If I want to smoke a cigarette or smoke pot or take some mushrooms or MDMA, which now is ecstasy for anyone listening, um, I can. I want to have sex with multiple people, I can. 
I want to watch porn or be in porn, I can. Anything I want to do, I can do. And I guess if I wanted to eat my vegetables, I probably could. But I didn't want to. You know, and Satan says that's okay. You know, Satan is the coolest guy in the world. God, not so much. So I do these things. Then there's a ceremony. In the ceremony, I am baptized full submersion in a large vat of human blood, pig's blood, and human urine. I come, I, when that happens, I'm in a white robe signifying that I'm losing my innocence. I go into another room and take a shower. I come out in a black robe with the cow raised. I sit in a chair. They hand me a wheel with a crucifix in it. I have to spin the crucifix upside down, signifying human sacrifice. Uh, they read off the document that I signed the night before. I show them my left thumb to show that it was my thumb that I sliced. It was my blood that's on the document. Um, I break the arms downward on the crucifix, signifying that you're denouncing Christ. And then there's a celebration. I have like a, a sex orgy where you're celebrating that you're now a Satanist. But the reality is you're celebrating that one day you're going to die and go to hell. And then I'm officially in. Um, everyone shares their magic with me. Uh, your personal spell book is called the Book of Shadows. And, you know, I get to read everybody's book. Everybody does their magic differently. So I'm doing magic a certain way, but reading everybody else's books of shadows, it's how everybody does their magic. You know, and, and this is really cool to me. Um, moving ahead in doing this stuff, when I was 14 years old, I was told that I was going to participate in my first abortion. And I was like, cool. And I, uh, I went home and I looked up what abortion meant because I had no idea. And the dictionary that I had was so old, abortion wasn't in there. So I went to the library and I looked up the word abortion. They had two books on it. Both books were about two to three inches thick. And I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to read all that to find out what it is I got to do. So I went back to my satanic covenant. I was like, hey, you know, I heard that I'm going to participate in my first abortion, but I don't know what that means. And the guy says, oh, you're going to kill a baby in the womb. And I was like, is that legal? He goes, oh, yeah, in the womb legal, out of the womb murder. So they gave me like a scalpel, and then I had to get like a bowl of Play-Doh and uh, just practice. Uh, you know, they're like, all you got to do is stab into the woman. We'll show you what you have to do. Um, you're going to be wearing surgical gloves, a surgical mask, um, a coat, and you, you have to be very careful. You're there to get blood on your hands. That, that's the whole purpose is you're the main magic practitioner. So you're getting, you're getting blood on your hands. You're not there to hurt the woman. And the, the night that I did it, I don't even know that I stabbed the baby. I, I was so nervous. My legs were like spaghetti. I had like adrenaline had replaced my blood and I was just scared and didn't really, didn't really know what I was doing. Um, inserted both of my hands, pulled them out. They were bloody. But like I said, I don't think that I actually did anything. And, uh, but I do feel that I was just as guilty because I was participating with everyone else. Um, 
in that particular abortion that I did, the, there's an abortion doctor at all of these and an abortion nurse. Uh, they actually did the abortion. The doctor, um, it's a late term abortion. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with how abortions take place. There's seven different types. Um, I actually have a CD set out and a book that I'm coming out with that is called Abortion is a Satanic Sacrifice. Um, I currently also have a GoFundMe going for my, um, for my book that I'm trying to put out. So that's on my website. It's allsaintsministry.org. And um, the doctor inserted uh, what looked like tongs with teeth, um, tore the baby into many multiple parts. That's a normal abortion for anybody that's listening and thinks that sounds horrible. Well, that's one of the seven ways an abortion takes place. But in our particular abortion, not only did he rip the baby up, but he threw it out to a bunch of uh, Satanists that were writhing around on the floor and they cannibalized the baby. They cannibalized the baby body parts. Um, so that was my first one that happened when I was 14 years old, about three months before turning 15. Um, I had someone tell me a few years ago that my conversion story is age appropriate for 15 and up. Well, the problem with that to me is that by the time I was 15, I was addicted to pain pills. I was, I took mushrooms almost every day. I took acid every weekend. I smoked pot every day. I got drunk almost every day. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to masturbation. I was addicted to sex. And I've broken all 10 commandments, including murder. And now I'm old enough to hear my own talk. Now, I'm not saying that every child is as bad as me, but your child is not as innocent as you think he is or she is. You need to listen to my talk, put it in language you know your child would understand, and give him your version of my talk. They've got to know that God is stronger than the devil. You've got to tell them how bad the devil is, because if you don't tell them, they're going to look it up online or they're going to ask their friends. Their friends are just as stupid as they are. If your child is 10 or 11 years old, how much does he know? Or they're going to look stuff up online, and you don't want online raising your child. You don't want somebody else telling your child what they should believe in. You need to raise them. You need to tell them what they need to know. You can't just let anybody raise your child because if you're allowing anybody, then you're also allowing the devil to raise your child. So that was by the time I was 15. I stopped going to my first coven when I was 18. When I graduated high school, I was going off to college. I was thinking, how am I going to find another coven. You got to remember, this is before the internet. There was no Craigslist. There was no AOL. There was no message boards. If you want to find something, you got to find it in the magazine. It's not like they're going to advertise this in the town square. I'm trying to find a satanic coven. 
we had two satanic covens in my town. I grew up in a small town. We're talking 5,000 people, maybe. So two covens that were really large, 100 plus members in these covens. But, you know, these things were like top secret. Now, you know, and like I say, you know, they're not going to advertise in the town square. So when I got off to college, I found my satanic coven because they advertised in the town square. They had um, this thing called the student union. The student union was like the center of campus. And every Wednesday, the student union would open up and they'd put out uh, tables and chairs and these uh, political or religious groups would go out there and recruit students. And so the first day out there, I noticed the first day the school was open was a Wednesday. So you go to class and you cut through the student union on your way to your next class. And they have like the, the Republican and the Democrat student union and the uh, Baptist and the Catholic student union. And right out in the middle of everywhere, they got the satanic and the Wiccan student union. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, so I started going to the satanic student union. I started going to the satanic coven meetings. And uh, these are a bunch of kids away from home for the first time. And they think that the devil is all about taking drugs, getting drunk, getting late. And I've been doing that stuff since I was 12. I don't need a satanic coven for that. These guys are like making up magic spells on the spot. And really, we meet on Saturday. And then it's like, what are you guys going to do tomorrow? Oh, we got to go to church tomorrow. Is there a satanic church? No, man. You know, Baptist church or a Lutheran church or Pentecostal. Like, do you break them up? No. These guys are just, it's like a, a social club Saturday and Sunday you go to church. Like, what, do you not believe in the devil? What are you doing? You know, and it was just like, no, we're just going to meet Saturday and we're going to get drunk and maybe have sex. And then Sunday, we're going to go to church because that's what we do. Like, no, uh-uh. <laughs> I'd heard there's a satanic coven that was out to rule the world. That's what I wanted to do. Ruling the, ruling the world would be the most awesome thing in the world. So I called my first coven and I was like, hey, you know, I heard there's this other group out there. How do I meet up with them? And so they gave me an address and a phone number. And I called and I started going to that meeting. And that was Satan's World Church, a world church of Satan. And I was like, well, this is pretty awesome. I like these groups. So let's go back to me being like 13 years old in my first coven. One night I was at a sleepover. And I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. And I saw this guy. He wasn't a member of my coven, but I saw this guy wearing a tuxedo, a top hat, a wand, and he had face paint, corpse paint on his face. He looked like a member of KISS wearing a tuxedo. And I was like, that is the coolest look ever. I don't know what that is, but I just want to know who that is. So the next day I was like, hey, last night I was up. I was going to the bathroom. It was like three o'clock in the morning and I saw this. What is that? And they're like, oh, you were dreaming. Okay. 
all right, this is one of those lies, you know, you're just going to lie to me and whatever. I'll find out one day. I just kind of forgot about it. So then fast forward, I'm 18 years old. I'm at the university and uh, I'm at this coven meeting and I see this guy. Now, it's not the same guy, but it's a similar look. I grabbed some guy standing next to me. I was like, who is that? What is that? How, what's he doing? How can I do that? And they're like, oh, who, who ran your coven? I said, well, we had a pretty large coven and uh, anywhere from 100 to 150 members at any given time. And it was run by 13 high priests and priestesses. And he's like, oh. He goes, well, at most covens, they're run by a high priest or a high priestess. And a lot of people incorrectly assume that's the top position. He said, our coven has 1.1 million members worldwide. And we're run by a CEO and board of directors. And the top magic people in our coven are called high wizards. That's a high wizard. It's like, how, how can I do that? He's like, I, I don't know. No one knows how the high wizard is picked. Well, I found out that the high wizard is supposed to be handpicked by the devil. That there's between two and five in the world. And the number could be as low as one or as high as 10. When I was 21 years old, I was called before the CEO and board of directors. Usually, that's a bad deal. A lot of times you get called before them and you're never seen or heard from again. So I was paranoid. I didn't know what I had done. I didn't really want to be there. But you don't have a choice. When you're called, you're called. And I went in and they handed me this very hokey looking handbook and they told me that I was being picked to be the next high wizard and that if I choose to do this, this is the handbook and the handbook tells you, you can do anything you want. You know, there's rules that are for other people, but not you. You know, there's laws that pertain to everybody in the country, but not you. You are the badass among badasses. Nothing can happen to you. You are in control of everything. If anybody wants you to do magic for them, because you do the official magic for the covenant, they have to ask you to do it. Now, remember, this is your job is to do it, but they have to ask you to do it. They can suggest that you do it. They might have to beg you to do it. And ultimately, you don't have to say yes. Now, they give you ideas for what your uniform is going to look like. So I like the idea of wearing a duster. So that's what I wore. Uh, I wore a leather duster that went from, you know, it's up at the shoulders, goes all the way down to your ankles. I wore um, Harley Davidson slouch boots or I wore uh, paratrooper boots. I had leather pants. And then the rest of my uniform kind of looked almost like a tuxedo. And then I, you, you have to wear the top hat. I used a cane instead of a wand because I thought a wand was hokey. And then I do the, um, the uh, corpse paint over the face, which looks like a, a skull hangs on your face. And um, that's your official uniform. And that's if you're out in public, that's what you look like. I partied with rock stars for 12 years.
I worked for the Illuminati for 12 years. You know, I have a lot of people ask me at my talks, is the Illuminati real? Well, let's hope so, because I worked for them for 12 years. Um, during the course of my tenure of evil, I helped commit 146 assisted abortions. I helped split 120 churches. Now, that's not alone. You have teams that go out and do these things. There's three different types of teams that split churches. There's sex scandals, monetary scandals, and gossip. And, you know, if you're wondering, does gossip really work? It worked 120 times in a row. So gossip works really well. Um, I did all the evil under the sun. I traveled the world. I did magic for kings, queens. You, know, you can go think about what countries have a king. They exist. I did their magic. What countries have a queen? We all can think of one. I did their magic. You know, presidents, um, rock stars, actors. You want to be rich and famous? You want a hit song? You want a, a one-hit wonder? Or you want a lifetime of uh, rock and roll? That's the high wizard's job. You want to become famous? You got to find the high wizard. And, um, you know, that this was the official magic that I did. This was the capacity that I was in. You know, you have laws that you want passed. You have bills you want passed. You have um, multi-billion dollar contracts that you'd like to have. The high wizard is the one that can get these things done for you. And the whole world that knows, there's, there's a side of the world that knows these things exist because they do them. You know, the satanic cult is huge. It is worldwide. It has worldwide ties. You know, this is, and like I said, there could be at one point up to 10 high wizards in the world. I'm just the one guy you guys are hearing from. There's nine others when I was doing this. You know, it's a busy job. We travel the world. So all this stuff is happening. If you want to, if you just, you lack the imagination, you wonder what exactly does this high wizard look like? Go look on uh, YouTube, look up the artist Pink, and look up her video like a pill. She has a high wizard that appears in her video four times. So the last two times, he's in the middle of doing a magic spell, and you get to watch him do it. Um, so these are the things I'm doing. But, you know, when you can sin all you want, you know, I was in child pornography from the age of 12 till I was 16. At 16, I grew a mustache and I aged out. No one wants to see a child with a mustache have sex with an adult. So, you know, that's, that's uh, no longer in it. Um, when I came out of kitty porn, I no longer had the idea to have sex with children. That was as wrong. When I felt like I was an adult, so I don't do this now. When I became an adult, though, I was still addicted to sex, so I was having sex with every single adult I could find, you know, because I, I, I have to. You know, it's like, I've got to do this. I'm also an alcoholic. I'm a full-blown alcoholic at this time, and I'm a drug addict. And I, this around the age of uh, 
I was in like my, my 30s. Now, I equate um, sinning as like, imagine you're working in a candy store. And not just a candy store in the mall, but like a freestanding building that's a candy store. So every type of candy is every type of sin. And, you know, in the candy store, there's thousands of types of candy. Now, obviously, there's candy you're never going to try. Let's say that licorice, you're never going to eat that licorice. But everything else, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate, you know, there's bonbons, there's coconut, there's stuff with nuts, stuff with the hard candy, chews. I mean, there's even sugar-free candy. And, you know, eventually, you're probably going to try the sugar-free candy. I mean, it's just, you're going to try everything. You know, and after a while, you're like, how come the guy I work for can't invent new candy? How come there's not a new sin out there? And then suddenly a new sin shows up. You got a new candy bar. It's got a new wrapper. That's incredible. And you tear that wrapper open and it's the same candy. It's just a different wrapper. Crack cocaine comes out. This is awesome. There's a new drug. This is great. This is incredible. This is awesome. I'm going to do this. And you realize, wait a minute. It's crack cocaine. It's still cocaine. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. I, I, I want a new sin. Why, why is it that no matter what I do, it's the same old sins? So when you can sin all you want, it becomes boring. There's no new sins. I wanted, I had such an emptiness in me, such a longing, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't fill it. And it didn't matter how much I drank, no matter how many mixed drinks I had, no matter how much beer I had, you're trying beers of the world. I'm drunk all the time, but none of that alcohol fills that void. No matter what drugs I, I, I took, I had my favorites. I mean, my favorite things were marijuana, ecstasy, acid, mushrooms. But I would try anything new that came out. But nothing filled that void. No amount of sex. I, had, I went through a period of homosexuality because after a while, heterosexuality wasn't doing it. But homosexuality didn't do it either. You know, I had been in kiddie porn. That didn't do it. I had been doing, I was addicted to gambling. That didn't do it. I owned uh, a home theater system. I had 5,000 movies. But that wasn't enough, and the home theater system wasn't big enough. My stereo system wasn't loud enough. My 5,000 CDs wasn't enough. I used to have them on album but I replaced them and got CDs instead. That wasn't enough. Nothing was enough. There's no amount of sin that can fill that void. I didn't realize that the smallest accidental off the Eucharist would have completely filled it. But I didn't know anything about the Catholic Church. I didn't know anything really about God. I believed in God. I, w- I was a theistic Satanist. I believe God was real. I believe there was going to be a final battle. I believed in all that stuff, but 
when I was younger, God didn't do anything for me. So if he didn't do anything for me as a kid, he's certainly not going to do anything for me now. I've been, I lived in a world of evil my entire life. So, you know, I'm sure God doesn't, you know, didn't like me. You know, I, I, that, that's, my, that's my perspective. It didn't occur to me that if God really didn't like me, I'd be dead. You know, so I was just, uh, I was just, I was so lost. I didn't know what to do. And I got fed up with everything I was doing. And, but I remembered that, you know, I worked for the Illuminati and I worked for the, the largest satanic organization in the world. Well, there were two largest organizations. There was uh, World Church of Satan or Satan's World Church. It's the same group with two different names. And then there was another satanic organization that's also equally, well, I've heard is equally as large as the OTO, Ordi Templates Orianti. Um, they as well, I mean, they can be looked up. Uh, they're a fairly large and very well-organized satanic coven. And so if you're going to leave the coven, there's only one way to go. You can commit suicide. You can be murdered. You can die of natural causes. All three ends in your death and you in hell. I am not really wanting to go to hell. Everybody's got to die. Let's not rush it. So, you know, I was like, okay, I need to plot an escape. So I, I, I did. I, I didn't know if I could truly make it. It was very rare that you heard about somebody getting away. Usually you hear about somebody dying. And uh, so I, uh, I plotted my escape. I called a satanic doctor so I could drive on a Friday to uh, go see him. I wasn't feeling well. I had taken out cash in a few weeks prior. I took all the credit cards I had with me, but I was just going to cut them up and throw them away along the way. I drove like I was going to the doctor's office. I stayed on the highway and I just kept going. And uh, I drove um, pretty long ways. That night, I ran out of gas. I parked my car on the side of the road. And then the next day, I hitchhiked my way into the next town. I sold my car for, for parts. And then I took the tag off of it, put it in my backpack, and uh, bought a Greyhound bus ticket and tried to get into Canada and uh, failed. And they told me at the border that I could go anywhere. Since they rejected me at the border, I could go anywhere in the United States I wanted to go. So I remembered when I used to be Baptist, we used to wonder, like on a particular day, what is God wanting to tell me today? So we would open the Bible up at random with our eyes closed and put our finger down. And then whatever we put our finger on, that's what we said God was trying to tell us that day. So I kind of did a similar thing. I opened up the United States Almanac or Atlas and put my finger down and landed on Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I thought, well, looks like that's where I'm going. And uh, didn't even know where that was or really didn't even know where Oklahoma was. So put my finger down, though, and that's where it was going. So that's where I got my, my bus ticket to. And uh, I got a ride there. And then um, I actually went to Tulsa and then ended up staying there for three years. And 
then uh, in three years, I lived pretty much off the grid and I ended up buying a car and then I tried to make it into, into Canada again and got rejected at the border again. And I thought, okay, so I talked to a friend and he said, there's a, a border crossing near Vermont, but you, there's no border guard there. And I was like, perfect. I'm going that way. So I started driving that way and I could have made it in one day, but I got super sleepy. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to pull over and go to a rest stop and take a nap. And I did that. And uh, I woke up. It was the next day. Like my nap that should have been like one or two hours was like 16 hours. And I woke up and I kept going. And when I got there, I crossed over. There was a border guard there. And I was told there was no border guard. This guy stops me, has me get out of the car. Searches my car inside and out, top to bottom. And while he's doing that, there's no building for me to go into like there was at these other border guards, border crossings. So, you know, he's like just talking to me. And he tells me how that he's been trying to be a border guard here for three years. And today is his very first day on the job. And I realized that if I'd have crossed over yesterday, I'd be safely in Canada now, but as it is, I'm stopped at the border. I'm thinking God's got a sense of humor. So eventually I get rejected at the border and I'm worth about $18 and I've got a half a tank of gas. So I drive to Burlington, Vermont. I was told they had a good homeless program there, which was I was about to be homeless. And uh, so I drive there. I get involved in their homeless program, but I get a job like my first day in town. Eventually, I become a manager at a store called Piercing Pagoda. Most towns have them in their malls. And it's just um, when I first got the job, it was an actual inline store. And then I got a job at a different Piercing Pagoda in South Burlington, Vermont, and that was an actual kiosk. So I'm working there one day. I've been there for a few months. Um, and, and my sales are, I'm the manager there. My sales outdo every other store. My sales rock. My customer service, second to none. Um, I'm doing really well there. There's actually two full-time managers that work in this store. This woman comes up to me one day and she needs a pair of gold hoop earrings. So easy sale. I make the sale. This is going to be, this is going to make my day financially. And then we're about to do the transaction. She's like, well, you know, actually I'm shopping with my daughter and I need to continue doing that. And when I'm done, I'll come back and I'll, I'll make this purchase. Well, I know everybody that says that. What they mean is I'm uh, going to find them cheaper someplace else. All right, fine. So she walks away. She's got an honest face. I think she's really going to um, come back. And three hours later, this woman comes back. We do the transaction. And at the end of the transaction, I said, look, we're having a special right now. 
if you call the 800 number on this receipt and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she's like, oh, that's wonderful. I've got something for you too. <laughs> like, oh no. And I know what this means. This means she's going to pull out like a Jack Chip pamphlet, tell me that I'm sinning. I need to drop to my knees and beg for forgiveness and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I don't have the power to do that because I sold my soul when I was 13 years old. But I'm not going to tell her that because you can't say this to evangelical types. They'll just, um, you know, they'll evangelize to you even harder. <laughs> so I'm going to swear, <laughs> you know, um, I'm just going to swear that I'm going to read this pamphlet. In reality, I'm just going to throw it in the trash when she turns her back. And uh, I stick my hand out, but instead she pulls out a very cheap looking gold colored piece of tin. It's very small. It's about the size of a dime. Now I sell gold, so I recognize cheap. Plus I work at Piercing Pagoda, I really recognize cheap. So I uh, look at, you know, what it is. and I don't know what it is. She's trying to hand me a blessed, miraculous medal. It's a Catholic devotional. I have no idea, though, what that is. And then she says the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Now, you have to remember that I helped rock stars sell their souls. If they were a famous rock star between 1987 and 1999, there's a good chance I made them famous. I gave them hits. I did something for them. Unless they were already a rock star prior to 1987. And even then, there's a chance I did something for them. So, if you take somebody that can write poetry or write songs and pump them full of unlimited alcohol and drugs, they can say some crazy stuff. Now, anybody that doubts that statement, turn on your radio, listen to a top 40 station, or listen to a classic rock station. Barracuda is an awesome song by heart. Do you know the lyrics of it? You got to look up the lyrics. The lyrics of that song are crazy. It's like clearly the person that wrote that, I don't know if it was Anne or Nancy Wilson or if it was somebody else, but that person was on some serious drugs. You want another example? How about Bow to Bob by Kid Rock? The year that song came out, and it came out like, what, like 18 years ago? When that song came out, it was the number one song of the week, the number one song of the month. It was the number one song of the year. Everybody bought that song. Do you know the lyrics of that song? How about the chorus? Bow to Ba, to Dang to Dang, Diggy Diggy. Up jumped the boogie. Really? That's the best you got? That's the best you could do? You were like 25 years old when that song came out? And you come out with, you know, the song that, that, that is your breakout song could be the number one song you're ever going to do. It's going to be the best piece of music you've ever done. You laugh. But who made it number one? Us. Because it was the 
best piece of music that existed. That means no other band came out with a song better than that one that year. That's pathetic. And this woman pulls out this little gold piece of tin and she says something that was weirder than that. She said, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And I'm like, I'm thinking, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia, Aphrodite. I I got no idea. I grew up Baptist. You know how many titles we have for Mary? Zero. You know how many other names we have for Mary? Zero. So I don't know who the Blessed Mother is. And then she says it's very powerful. Again, let's go back to the Baptist church. You know how many things we bless? Zero. We don't bless anything. So Christians don't bless anything. And she's worshiping somebody named the Blessed Mother. So she represents some female deity cult. I came from the biggest cult in the world. I'm not interested. But she bought gold. She has the gold. I have her money. She made my day financially. This is win-win. I don't know why she doesn't just walk away. But saying that it's powerful makes me feel like she's challenging me. So I'm going to take it in my hands. I'm going to feel of it. And I'm going to feel that, you know, because at that time, I could feel anything that was used in a magic spell. And I could tell you, this was used in a protection spell. This was used in a death spell. Your friend found this at a garage sale and made up a story about it. And I knew that's what I was going to feel. I was going to feel there was nothing. There's no power, no mystique. This can do nothing to me. And I'm going to toss it on my floor or slam it on my counter and tell her it's worthless. And she might get mad at me and she might want a refund. And that's fine. I'll do that. And she might even call my boss and complain. She might call the regional manager. My manager will never believe that my customer service sucked for one day. My sales beat everybody's. My customer service is second to none. There's no way my boss would believe that I intentionally upset this woman. I stick my hand out. She drops it in my hand and I clench my fist around it. Because I'm all ready to tell her these things. Except when I clench my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappeared. Everything was gone. I'm standing in a darkened void, and it's me and this woman. And she tells me about the magic spell I did the night before that no one knows I did. And she ended that statement with, and that's of the devil. And then she said that I committed over 100 abortions. And that's of the devil. And I've split over 100 churches. And that's of the devil. She says about nine or ten other sins that I did. And I kept my past hidden from everybody there. So many cults are connected around the world. I didn't belong to a cult. I was still doing magic because I was addicted to magic. 
but I didn't belong to a cult because I didn't want to unintentionally rejoin my coven. Everything she said, she ended with, and that's of the devil. Now, let's go back to the could have been between two and five high wizards in the world. The number could be as low as one, as high as 10. At some point, I could have been the only high wizard in the world. Now, there's 7.2 billion people in the world. Now, that's a power trip and a half. That's like, that's your ego is bigger than your house. You know, that's an incredible thing. But the only one high wizard in the world out of 7.2 billion people, I did not have the magical power to give somebody a worthless piece of tin, transport both of us to a darkened void, and know their sins. This woman's magic is stronger than mine. I am terrified of this woman. I cannot attack her, but I also cannot escape her. I want to let go of this metal. But what happens if I let go and I fall through this darkened void and I don't find my way back to my mall? What if I don't find my way back home? I don't know what to do. I just know that I am scared to death. I'm sweating and I'm terrified. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And instantly I knew that was the Mother of God. Now the odd thing about that statement is that I was former Baptist. We'd rather shoot ourselves in the face of the shotgun than say Mother of God. <laughs> when I realized it was the Mother of God, Mary appeared to me. She appeared to me, I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. And she smiled at me. She came down from heaven to give me a smile that I did not deserve. And she took me by the hands, the hand that had the metal in it. And she turned me around. Divine Mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I didn't know what Divine Mercy was. I had these rays of light that are going around me and over me and under me and through me. The things that I was acutely aware of at that point, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt I had not sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic, my occult, my Satanism, and my New Age were all fake. It's one big pile of crap. And I knew that everything that was Catholic was truth. Blessed Mother told me that my job was to help her end abortion. I opened my hands. I was back in my store back in my mall. This woman told me where she went to daily mass. And I started going there the next day. She gave me uh, some other information. Her daughter came up and she said, go out to the van and get us one of each of everything. 
I had no idea how much stuff that was, but that was a heck of a lot of stuff. That was in uh, January of 08. I officially entered the Catholic Church in May of 08. Um, that woman's name was Marianne Wickman. She was Father Joe Whalen's assistant in the St. Raphael healing oil ministry. Uh, the ministry is still going, I think, but Father Joe died a couple of years ago. Um, I worked temporarily with their ministry and then started All Saints Ministry, which is my ministry now. Uh, I started that around 2009 or 2010. Uh, AllSaintsMinistry.org is my website. And being in that ministry allows me to travel the world. 2016, I was on tour for nine months. Uh, that year, I was in Trinidad, Canada twice, New Zealand twice, um, New Zealand uh, for almost a month. Um, the largest talk, the smallest talk I've ever done, I think, is 11 people. Those are great, though, when you do a small talk. It's very intimate. You get to sit with the group, and uh, it's like you're sitting with friends. Uh, the biggest talk I've ever done was Divine Mercy Sunday. It's the Sunday after Easter um, in 2016. Uh, live on site was 17,500 people. It broadcast to 1 million people around the United States and 50 million people around the world. And that was a lot of fun. I'd like to say I'll never have a talk that big again, but I never thought that I would have a talk that big the first time. And then God said, shut up. I can do whatever I want. And he did. So I'd like to say that I'll never have it again, but feel God would tell me to shut up and he'd do it again. So, um, but yeah, being, uh, being in this ministry allows me to travel the world and to do interviews like this. So I have a good time every time I'm on whatever I'm on. But thank you very much for having me on here. Well, Zachary, let's take a break right now. When we come back, we'll dive into many, many questions. We'll be right back, everybody. Okay, so most of you know that I do drive truck 60 plus hours a week. In fact, there are weeks that I actually drive 40 hours within my first three days. So by the time I'm punching out Wednesday night, I've already hit my 40th hour heading into overtime. So that said, I have a lot of time on the road to listen to a lot of things, and I don't always like listening to music. I love listening to podcasts, though. And one of my favorite podcasts to go ahead and listen to on a weekly basis is Astonishing Legends. Scott and Forrest of Astonishing Legends have been around the block. They've been doing podcasting for a little while now, and they are veterans. They put out a great audio quality sounding podcast with awesome content. Astonishing Legends takes a look at legendary, strange, and unusual events from throughout history and interviews people who have close encounters with the unexplained. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you enjoy the confessionals, you will definitely enjoy Astonishing Legends. Go ahead and check them out on iTunes or go to their website, astonishinglegends.com. Check what they're all about and definitely subscribe on iTunes. If you want to reach out to them, go ahead and email them at astonishingcontact at gmail.com. That's astonishingcontact at gmail.com. Go ahead and subscribe now.
I really appreciate you sharing that story with us and just kind of like detailing everything out. I got so many questions. I would love to run by you and stuff. Uh, I guess kind of backtracking here to kind of like your childhood and stuff like that. Um, would you would you say and and I don't know much about this stuff, so I mean, feel free to correct me if I say anything that's inaccurate. Uh, but were they using you for some kind of child like child ritual abuse? Would you describe it that way when it came to like the whole all the sex that you were having and things like that, or was it just kind of like things that were you know a, allowed for you to have because you were part of the coven? Um, well, that's actually a good question because most people don't don't take it to that that um that area um satanic ritual abuse um also known as sra is generally um all adults with with like one child and it's very systematically done um as a lot of people that are into conspiracies uh could probably describe to you you know with a lot of children the abuse starts when they're extremely young, like in diapers or just out of diapers, because you want them to have a personality split by the time they get to be three or four years old, you know, and this allows um, a lot of controlling and a lot of uh, quite possible assassinations and things to happen as they get older. And then they're not aware of any of these activities that they're doing. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of, different things that happen to children around, around doing, um, SRA, um, you know, for the type of abuse that I was in, I didn't start my abuse till I was 12. So I was past the point of when, um, SRA happens to most kids. Uh, most kids by the time they're 12 have been involved in SRA for almost 12 years. Um, you know, so I got a late start. Mine was more on the one hand, um, you know, you have to understand that Satan's all about a desecration or destruction of innocence. So my innocence was systematically plucked away from me, started at 11 and then just continued, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, you know, so I had lost uh, pretty much all of my innocence and I, it was kind of like, um, both. It was, you know, these are my privileges because I'm in this cult, but as well, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm being abused by adults that like to have sex with children. You know, these people know what they're doing. They're predators. You know, they're just taking advantage of me and, you know, me being naive, thinking that I'm getting positive things being given to me not realizing that I'm being abused. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. When you were talking about the uh, the abortions that you were involved in and things like that, at one point you said that the the pieces of the the, the baby that was being aborted uh, was cannibalized by the other members. Uh, is that something that is common throughout all of Satanism, or is that something that was just common within your own coven? Um. It is fairly common. You know, there's other um, testimonies on YouTube, at least they used to be there. And it was either Satanists or Wiccans that have given um, eyewitness accounts of abortions they've been involved in. 
and you know in the in in what they were discussing there was a cannibalism that occurred which surprised me because i really thought that it was only my coven that did that i didn't realize that there were other covens that did it you know one of the things that i hear a lot is you know and i don't know how much, how conspiratorial this is versus factual but that a lot of celebrities and politicians are involved in uh, Satanism. And uh, one of the big things that was going around not too long ago was Marina Abramovich. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. And her involvement with celebrities and doing spirit cooking. Uh, Is spirit cooking something that is uh, an actual ritual? And is it something that celebrities and politicians actively do? Um, It's not... It, it, by actively, if you mean like, are there thousands of people doing it? No. Um, it, it is a specialized ritual, it, but it is an actual ritual. Although, you know, just as you may have heard this, that Satan's a liar. Um, so when people that do Satanism, you know, actual active Satanists will lie about certain things. So like this woman who you've done a very good job pronouncing her name. I cannot pronounce it. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like, it's like I've looked at that name and thought, nope. Um, but, you know, she, she made a claim when, when she was in the news that when you do it in a, um, in an art studio, it's art. But when you do it at a satanic coven meeting, then it's satanic. And it's like, no, wait a minute, let's think about that. Because when you go to a Catholic mass in a Catholic church, that's a Catholic mass. If you hold that same mass in your house, what would you call it? It's still a Catholic mass. Right. If you go to a Baptist church service at the Baptist church, it's a Baptist church service. And when you go to the, uh, the, uh, Easter vigil and that's done outside it's still a Baptist church service it's just done outside so I would think that Satan being a liar that no matter where that satanic ritual is held it's still a satanic ritual you can do it in the museum you can do it in an art studio you can do it in a satanic church it's still going to be a satanic ritual so you can call it art if you want to, but that's not how Satan recognizes it. You know, it's like holding a black mass. You know, if you do a black mass at an actual church, it's still a black mass, no matter where you do it. Because when they did it at the Leon County, not Leon County, um, where was the uh, Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma City at the Civic Center? You know, it was still a black mass. And when they tried to do it at Yale, it was still a black mass. So it didn't matter if they did it at school, in a civic center, or in a satanic temple. It's still a black mass. So shockingly, shockingly, the devil's a liar. <laughs> right. You know, you, uh, you mentioned about Pink earlier and her music video. When it comes to things like that, yes. do these artists know what's being put in the music videos? Or is this something that like is more underlying through the producers that may be involved in Satanism and things like that? I mean, at what level of consciousness are these artists doing these things with their music videos? Well, um, on Netflix right now, there's a 
um, a new documentary with Lady Gaga, where um, I understand that there's special features of that, where she admits that she sold her soul to the Illuminati. Uh, she also admits that um, Katy Perry did the same thing. If you look up pictures of Katy Perry, there's one of her in Massachusetts at the Satanic Temple where she got her picture taken with a bunch of Satanists. Um, if you look up uh, interviews on YouTube, Bob Dylan admits that he sold his soul to the devil. Uh, Katy Perry does as well in an interview. She says that she tried to be the next Amy Grant and she failed. And so then she sold her soul to the devil so that she would be famous that way. Um, there's rap stars, uh, tons of rock and roll singers that all claim that they've sold their soul to the devil. And that's normal. I mean, uh, Jay-Z, well, Beyonce claims that she becomes possessed by a demon named Sasha Fierce when she's on stage. Um, you know, there's almost as many rock stars you know, as almost as many rock stars as there are, there's stories about them or by them where they claim they've done these things. So I would have to think that the artist themselves knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and I kind of leaned in that direction myself. You know, you mentioned about how you were traveling the world and performing uh, um, spells for different, you know, kings and rock stars and things like that. And when you said that, and then you dated, you dated yourself when you said up to, I think, nine, 1999, uh, one of the right. first people that pop, popped in my head was Jay-Z. Is he somebody that you worked with? Because Jay-Z is very open about his uh, satanic worship. He puts it, uh, Alistair Crowley quotes into his clothing lines uh, of rock aware. Is, right. And so he's very open about it. And, and people, I, I don't understand why people gloss over that. I feel like there's some kind of psychological, there's some kind of psyop going on with people's minds half the time because he's openly saying these things, but nobody even scoffs at it. And so uh, I'm kind of curious if you know anything about Jay-Z is what I'm trying to say, because I'm very curious about his whole roots and with Satanism. Well, Jay-Z is a member of the Illuminati and he holds up an Illuminati sign at his shows and any time that he's in the press, the diamond symbol that he puts up is an Illuminati symbol. Uh, I genuinely don't. I have I have lots of stories about people that I work with or that I have worked with in the past, but I genuinely don't name drop. I understand. I completely understand. One of the stories that I tell, and I. I I allow you to, to jump to your own conclusion on a lot of these because I, I come very close when I describe, you know, the things that I say, but I don't actually say the names of these people. So like one of my stories is that we would do um, what's called a warehouse deal. We go out to Los Angeles or to Hollywood and we go to a warehouse that's it's like the size or sometimes bigger than a super Walmart. And people that want to be famous or that want some hit songs or whatever, they show up at these things. You show up as the high wizard, you have your entourage and you walk around and you see who catches your eye. Usually people catch your eye. It's because demons are pointing them out to you and you go up to somebody. And the, the question I ask is always the same. 
what would you be willing to do to be famous? Well, most people say they'll do anything, but everybody has a line in the sand that they draw. Like, you know, most people would say, well, I wouldn't do anything with animals or children. Well, that's not who Satan wants. He doesn't want the person that has a line in the sand they'll draw. He wants the person that's willing to jump in the pit of mud and be drugged through it. So I would look for that person. And it'd be male or female. And there's a guy that said he would do anything. And I said, describe anything. He was like, anything. You name anything and I would do it. I said, all right. Well, let's say that anything involved a horse and a small child. He goes, yeah, whatever. I was like, all right. So I hand them what's called a tier two card. It's, a, it's just a business card that has a phone number on it. They take that card and they have to call the number and then they have to go do whatever it is that that person sets up. But that's on somebody else. All I do is give them the card and I walk away. Now, to give you an idea of this guy, this guy was slightly overweight, definitely not a sex symbol. He could not sing. Now, he wants to be a rock star. He cannot dance. If you gave him, he can't write a song, he can't write music, he can't write a poem. If you gave him a Dr. Seuss book, he could not make it rhyme. Now, that's bad. It rhymes, but he can't make it sound right. I gave him the tier two card. Months later, I turned on MTV and he was in a band. He was in the hottest bands at the time, singing and dancing and still slightly overweight, but still pulling it off and extremely popular. I'm trying to rack my brain about who this could be. <laughs> I got I got some ideas. But even if I threw a name out there, you wouldn't say yes or no. So uh, I'll just leave the audience yeah, to. Right. Um, I'll let the audience make their own minds up on that. Uh, so that's that's some interesting stuff there. You know, it, I guess along the rock star line of things, how I, I, I'm assuming it's not a hundred percent. But if you could just throw a, a percentage out there, at what percentage do you think? of the rock stars that are out there, people who are famous with their music that kind of led, led over to, you know, selling their souls to the devil or being involved in these kind of things to get famous. Is it like a high percentage or a low percentage? I would guess it to be above 90%. Really? Because when I was involved, when I was involved, like I said, 87 to 99, um, it was almost everybody. You know, there, there was, there was people that, you know, people ask me, you know, did you work with this person or that person? Some people I did not work with, but that doesn't mean, I mean, there could be, there's multiple high wizards. It just meant that somebody else did something. You know, one of my, my ways of judging whether somebody was good or bad was, if you worked with a high wizard at some point, high wizards would get free tickets to shows. 
why would you be given tickets to a show if the person wasn't satanic friendly? It's true. I mean, there were, there were acts that I had to pay to get into. I, I got to, I saw Pink Floyd in concert four times. Every time I went, I had to buy a ticket. I'm guessing that means they didn't, they didn't sell their souls or whatever. Although, um, <laughs> this is almost just as bad. I think all the members of Pink Floyd are atheists. So, I mean, they would think, I guess, why would we sell our soul to a devil that doesn't exist? Yeah, they never, they never even entered the game, you know? <laughs> right. So, all right. So those kind of things are very interesting. And I, I could spend probably the next five hours picking your brain on that. Maybe we could do that sometime. <laughs> you know, you and me kind of just make a phone call or something. But uh, I want to move on here to this idea from that I thought of when you were telling your story and all the things you were coming up in as a child before you went away to school. Uh, this nagging, nagging question keeps popping into my head. What were your parents doing during this time? Were they in, were they not involved in your life? Did they did they notice these things? Did they not care? How would that whole thing work out? My parents um, owned two businesses, and my dad was working about twenty hours a day. You know, his four hours that he wasn't in the two businesses, he was asleep. My mother was in the businesses. Like she would be at the one when my dad was at the other. And then she also made the meals for me and my brother, if she could. And, you know, they were constantly busy as well. My satanic coven, the the first one I started off with, had, like I said, between 100 and 150 members at any given time. Um, I went to the Baptist church and my Baptist church, I think, had 12 deacons. And 11 of them were in my satanic coven. The same 11 were members, were Freemasons. So they, my parents trusted everybody at the church. And they trusted this, um, this group that I hung out with all the time. They were friends of my family, friends of my parents. And why would they not trust them? They, they, these people would take me away on trips. I'm supposed to go on a trip because we're going away because the Baptist church is going up to like, um, we went up to this thing, I think it was called Centrifuge, and it was in the Carolinas. Well, on the way up and on the way back, we shot porn. I really went to the Centrifuge thing. And that wasn't satanic. There, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a group of Satanists meeting for stuff, but there just happened to be in my group. Yes. You know, we did satanic things along the way. You know, everything that I was involved in, my parents would know pretty much everybody or know of them or be friends with somebody in the group. You know, my parents were not the most observant people. You know, so my my dad smoked cigars, so the house constantly smelled like somebody was smoking somewhere, but it was usually my dad. And, you know, if you're smoking a cigar, which is really powerful, you're not going to notice a cigarette smoke. And I'm usually, 
I'm high on something all the time. So you're not looking at how I'm acting right now. Right now, he's acting different than how he acted this morning. Because this morning, I was drunk. And when I was at school, I was high. And when I got home, I was stoned. And later in the day, I was tripping. Every time he sees me, I'm messed up on something. So, and I'm messed up practically 24 hours a day. So, you know, it's not like they can say, well, he acted different here than there because I'm messed up year round. So he's got nothing to compare it to. Unless he wants to compare it to previous to me being 12 years old. And he's not going to, they're not going to remember that. Right. The only thing that, that they did notice was that, like I said, I was a little hellion after I turned 11. And I was just, I was like one of the biggest jerks in the world. When you were selected as a high wizard, was that like something that you were deeply honored by at the time? Was it something that was like, wow, I, I've, I've made it? Yeah, for me, um, that was, you know, if comparing it to like a position in the Catholic Church, the, um, you know, a, a high priest or a high priestess in my first coven, that was the top position you could get. There was nothing higher than a high priest or a high priestess, you know, so that's kind of what I wanted to do. But it, it just it didn't seem important enough. Like those those people in my coven were like, they were just like the rest of us. And I thought there's got to be something higher than this. But I didn't know what that position would be. You know, and then the one time I saw the high wizard, but I didn't know what he was. And I didn't know that he was a Satanist. I just thought that was really cool. When I saw it, you know, the second time around, then I realized, you know, in that one, they explained that a high priest or a high priestess sometimes is self-appointed. I mean, let's, let's say that you decided you wanted to start a covenant. So you started one. Well, that makes you the high priest. Let's say that you got 50 people to join. And let's say that they voted you out so that you're no longer the high priest. So then you quit and you start your own covenant. That makes you the high priest again. You are constantly the high priest and you can be in a coven of one. So you don't need to have 13 members or 50 members or any number. You can just be in there by yourself. And that makes you the high priest. Um, so since you can be self-appointed in my second coven, anybody that comes into the coven that says I was a high priest and I was a high priest for 20 years, well, Satan's a liar. and um, they can't verify you were the high priest. So if you claim you're the high priest, fine, you're the high priest, but you got no power. So in that second coven, the high priest would have, like in the first coven, the high priest would be like a Catholic priest as far as power goes. But in the second coven, the high priest would be like a lectern or a sacristan. You pretty much got no power. You no, know, you can come up and you can read a Bible verse. Woohoo. Oh, you're you're big and mighty. But the high wizard is like a cardinal. Now, in the Catholic Church, a cardinal is one step before the Pope. So in this, the high wizard is like a cardinal. But 
at least when you're a cardinal, you can become the Pope. In the Satanic Coven, you're the high wizard. That's as high up as you can go. There is no, there is no, you see now, there is, in reality, there's a CEO and a board of directors. Those people are above you. But as a high wizard, you can never become one of those people. So you're as high as you can go, which is kind of cool in some respects, but there's somebody else above you that you can never achieve that position. So it's like becoming the cardinal, but you're never going to be the pope. But it's not just that you, you, you are in the position where you can see the pope, but you can't become it. And that was the same thing here. It takes you a while to realize that, though. When you become the high wizard, you're thinking you're top dog. There's no one above you. But in reality, there are positions above you. And you can't become that position. It took me 12 years to realize that. So the people that called you in to tell you you've been selected as the high wizard, I'm assuming those people are above high wizardry. And that's something you just could never have accomplished. Right. But... It, it, it seems like it's totally cool when you first get it because one of the things they tell you is that we cannot tell you what to do. Like if we ask you to do a magic spell, you don't have to say yes. And you, you think that's the most awesome thing in the world, but eventually you come to realize that this is your job. You, you have to say yes. I mean, you can say no and postpone it. You know, you don't have to say yes right away, but you eventually have to say yes because your job is the official magic practitioner of the coven. Sure. Now, this is kind of a funny question, but the, the outfit that you described you wore, is that something that you wore like going to the mall? Or is that something you wore in public as no. in public uh, things that you did for the covens? Uh, public stuff you do for the coven. Okay. Because when you, when you said public, I was thinking, wait a second, did he go to the mall like that? <laughs> I was thinking, geez. Um, the, one of the things I have done, I've gone to the airport like that. Did you turn heads? I've, I've got, I've got uh, yes. I, I've gotten on an airplane like that before. Now, all right, in that instance, is how, what's the likelihood of somebody knowing who you are? Um, is, you mean knowing that I'm Zachary King or knowing that I'm the high wizard? That you're a high wizard, that you're involved with Satanism. I mean, being dressed like that, do you think that most people just looked at you like you're just some kind of clown on a plane? Or do you think there's somebody that maybe recognized you as who you were and they just, you know, stayed away? Um, I would think most people looked at it as it's a publicity stunt or I'm nuts, you know, something like that. But um, years ago when I was high, I'd been the high wizard for a year maybe. And I went to um, Venice beach and I went, um, I had never been to Venice beach and I was in the back of a limo and they asked me where I wanted to go. And I said, let's go to the boardwalk, Venice beach. And so I was, I was taken there and I got out of the car and I just wanted to walk around, just see what was there. And so I was walking. No one looked at me like I was out of place. No one stared. I'm 
greatly overdressed because everybody else there is wearing, you know, women are, are dressed in like string bikinis, you know, thongs and things, and guys are wearing bathing suits, and maybe a t-shirt. And um, so I'm walking around and there's this kid, he looks to be about you know, between 10 and 12, and he's riding a skateboard. And I had skateboarded from the time I was eight years old till I was 40 something. So, you know, and at this time I became a high wizard when I was 21. So I was probably about 22. And uh, I was like, hey, can I try your board? And he was like, sure. So he kicks his board to me and I get on it and I've got security with me. So I'm skateboarding down this boardwalk pretty much. And these, uh, my, my security staff has to keep up with me. And I did a couple of stunts on it, um, rode a couple of rails and brought it back. And I was like, it's a good board. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a custom board and it was a long board, but it was set up to do stunts. It had, it had, um, rubber rails underneath it that you would ride, you would do stunts with. But most people that would put those on would have it on a regular skateboard, not on a longboard. So I was like, that's an awesome board. I said, what can I give you for that? I said, just, I said, I'm not trying to buy your board. I just wanted to pay you for letting me ride it. And I pulled out a wad of cash. I figured he's 12 years old. He'd appreciate a hundred dollar bill or something. And he said, uh, I'll take a gold coin. Now, when you're the high wizard, you have uh, a pocket full of silver coins that have a high wizard logo on them. It, it'll have a top hat and a wand crossing it on one side and the other side, it says HW. And then you have one gold coin on you. When you go to certain ceremonies that you do, you take a handful of coins out and you throw them out to the audience. Anybody that brings any high wizard the gold coin, they get a wish. Whatever they want, we'll do a magic spell for you for free because you have the gold coin. For him to ask for the gold coin, he had to know what I was. Yeah, I'd say so. How old would you say he was? Between 10 and 12. Wow. So he was probably deeply involved in a coven around there, kind of like you were when you were a kid. Right. And yeah, I gave him the coin. He asked for it. I asked, I asked to ride the board and he let me ride it. So it seemed fair to me. Wow. That's pretty incredible. You know, a, a random question here uh, that I have, and I was talking to a friend of mine about how we were going to be talking today. And uh, he asked me to ask you if being a high wizard, is that something that you wind up learning the names of demons? I knew names of demons way before that. Okay. Um, when I was in my first coven, uh, there's lots of, there's tons of satanic books that have uh, demonic names in them. There's also uh, gaming books that have actual demonic names in them. So not just Dungeons and Dragons, but other, other type um, games that 
that have demonic names. All right. Yeah, I was I was curious about that when he asked me to ask you that. I was thinking, oh, that's kind of a good question. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but these are just things that are popping in my head, and uh, you know, I'm trying to sure. take advantage of the opportunity I have today. Uh, Bohemian Grove. What can you tell me about Bohemian Grove? Is that something that you were <laughs> uh, involved in at all? And is the rumors true? The rumors are true. Uh, it really exists. I was there 18 times as I was. Uh, there's a lot of people that believe it's only open once a year. It's actually open four times a year. Um, so it's open in May, July, let's see, May, July, October. I'm forgetting one. Oh, February. February, May, July, and October. Everybody knows about July because it's cremation of care that happens then. Um, but four times a year, and then if you're a billionaire, you can go anytime. Um, you have to bring your own staff, but, you know, um, the thing, though, like, you know, Alex Jones did his little thing where he claims that he was undercover. Um, have you ever heard of Jeff Rents? No, it's not ringing a bell. Je- okay, Jeff Rents um, used to be Alex Jones' uh, partner in a, um, a conspiracy-type show. And um, then at some point, they separated. Um, Jeff Rents has done like 21,000 interviews and I have a three hour interview on, on his show. I've actually interviewed, I think about three times on his show. He was telling me that if you watch his undercover video, that his undercover camera is exposed. It's out in the open that if you like, he's been, been a producer for like 30 years. And that if you know what you're looking for, that you can tell that people are looking right at the camera and that the camera's out. It's not undercover. So his opinion was that Alex Jones actually had permission to be there. Wow. It's not the expose that it's heralded as. Um, For me, what made me think that it might be fake is that there were Lots of things that happen at the Grove that he didn't film, but happen everywhere. There's tons of homosexuality that happens out in the open. And he didn't film any of that. And he could have filmed it. He could have hinted at it. He could have filmed it at an angle where it's not exactly showing how rude it actually is, but you still catch it on film. But he didn't film any of that. There's tons of famous people there. He didn't film any of those people. You know, there's, um, there's actual rock stars there. There's also porn stars there. And then there's lots of uh, political figures that are well-known. And, you know, he didn't get any of those people on video. You know, the people that he shot on video are people no one's ever heard of. Yeah, and then um, there's cabins on the mountain. He didn't film any of that. He, there's trailers that are pulled onto the like little portable units that are pulled on in a certain section. He didn't film any of that. All the stuff that he could have gotten on video, he didn't. There's open areas for food, you know, and then when he kept claiming like, okay, security would come up to him and 
they would leave him alone. That's not how security happens there. Security will take you into an area and put you there and leave you there with other security personnel. And you will not move from that spot until they come back and clear you or they come back and escort you off with security and they escort you into the arms of the police department. So he was released. He he lied about who he was like four or five times. And every time they just released him and said, we're going to go check you out. So I'm thinking that I'm also, I'm agreeing with, with Jeff Rentz that um, he had permission to be there. Yeah. I mean, if that's what happened, then it sounds like, yeah, it definitely sounds like he had permission to be there. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. And then when we come back, we'll just dive right back into the thick of things. We'll be right back, everybody. When you mentioned, you know, political figures and things like that, is I, I know you said about name dropping. Uh, is there any political figures that you could name drop? <laughs> um, my first year there was 1987. The first year you're the high wizard, you um, you get to go to Bohemian Grove, and then if they like you, they invite you back. I apparently was well liked. 1987. The first political figure I remember seeing, I was very disappointed at first. The first political figure I saw was Ronald Reagan. And I went up to introduce myself, and he looked at me and kind of leaned backwards. And he wouldn't shake my hand. That actually made me feel better. Um, I was told my first year there that Every president we've ever had, with the exception of one, was put there with the help of the Illuminati. Want to take a guess? I mean, I'll tell you who it was, but want to take a guess? Uh, uh, most recent president? President? Well, between the, the most recent one, I couldn't tell you because I wasn't... Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm not a high wizard now. So... No, I have no, I have no idea who. Jimmy Carter. Really? When Jimmy Carter was running, the Illuminati thought no one is going to vote for this redneck peanut farmer. There was no, no reason for them to promote their guy. So they didn't even push their guy because no one's going to vote for Jimmy Carter. And then Jimmy Carter won. So at the next election, they were like, oh, hell no. And we're pushing the hell out of Ronald Reagan. So he got in, and um, but apparently he wasn't overjoyed with them. I represented the Illuminati, and he wouldn't shake my hand. Uh, the other people that I've seen there, uh, in 1994, 
I was on a collision course. I had a an entourage with me, and there's a guy named Alex that at the time was the guy that um, that ran the Grove. He was like the, the rector of the, the place, so to speak. And he would point out people to me, well, these people are going to want to meet with you. So then my people would go up to them, get their name, and we would set up a time for them to meet with me. And so he's taken me through the Grove. Um, it, it takes about two hours for everybody that he's taking me around and different people that my people have to set up meetings with. And I'm noticing as we're walking across this field, there's a guy that's walking really fast and he's on a collision course. You cannot accidentally bump into the high wizard. That's a bad day for you. And uh, this is going to result in him being tasered or shot or beaten down. Something bad's going to happen. Nothing, I've seen nothing exciting happen in a couple of days. So I'm thinking this is going to be fun for me. Whatever this guy, whatever happens to this guy, this will be good. This will entertain me. This will liven up things a little bit. And again, like I said, this is 1994. So I've been the high wizard for seven years. And you've got to do something major for me to be <laughs> happy here. You know, to have something exciting happen. But, you know, whatever happens, happens. We get almost to him, or he's almost to us, and this guy stops to tell me about this guy over this way that wants to see me, and it's very imperative, and he's willing to pay big money. And, you know, I'm like, okay, now I don't get to see any of this money, it all goes to the coven. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm like, which one? And he's like, oh, the fat one. I was like, well, that, there's five fat ones. Down the white shirt. Okay, you're down to four. Blue jeans, three. You know, go to which one? And so he finally shows me which one it is. And this guy walks right on past us. You would have hit us if we hadn't stopped. Oh, well. Alex looks at me and goes, oh, that guy's going to be president one day. And I looked at him and I thought, nobody voted for Jesse Jackson when he ran. Why would anyone vote for that guy? But that guy made president two terms in a row. And he was our last president. Obama. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was 1994. He was at the Grove. Um, 1992, I actually have a story about uh, Bill and Hillary. Because, you know, there's not supposed to be any women there. That's true. Um, in 1992, I was passing. There was um, they were having a large barbecue, and it was outside. And I kept passing this table, and there was this massive cake. It was like this 12 tier cake, and I really wanted a piece of it, but I can't stop. I'm working, and I keep walking past the table, and every time I walk past. It goes from being 12 tiers to 11 tiers to 10 tiers. And I'm just like, you know, I'm about to be in tiers because I'm, I'm losing this cake because, you know, it's just disappearing. Finally, I walk past and there's one sheet left. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, when I come back by, I'm going to get, I'm going to get me one. And I come back by, it's gone. This is very disappointing. 
And I look over and there's a guy sitting at a table and he's got a large piece of that cake. He's got a bunch of food and I pick up a fork and I walk over there and introduce myself, kind of, and I'm dressed as the high wizard. And he doesn't even bat an eye. And I was like, what are the chances that I could try a piece of that cake? And he just tells me, why don't I uh, pull up a seat, sit there next to him, um, and take half of it, whatever half I want. My half can be as big as I want. So I take the front half of it, because in reality, I think the best piece of that cake has got to be the back half, because that's where all the icing is. And that seems, that seems fair to me. I'll take the front half and you get the back half with all the icing. And so I do that. And I talk to him. We're sitting there having a really good conversation. He's like, like the nicest man I've ever met. And I eat my half and I leave him the bigger half. And I said, how's that? And he goes, that's good. He goes, you can have the rest of it if you want. I said, oh, do you not want it? Cause I've eaten off of it. He goes, no, that's not, he goes, that's not a deterrent. And um, I was like, okay. I said, well, I greatly appreciate it. And um, as we're sitting there, and he's got secret service. I've got my own security people, and my security people know his security people. And all of a sudden, one of my security staff jumps on top of me and pushes me down. And I'm surrounded by security. And one of my security staff pulls out his weapon and charges at the person that's approaching us. It's a woman. There's not supposed to be any women here. And this woman is approaching and they're yelling at her to drop. This guy runs up to her with a gun in her face and is ordering her like screaming down, 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 down. And eventually she drops down to her knees and she's all kinds of pissed off and she's cussing up a storm, telling this guy to get this gun out of her face. And then I asked this guy sitting next to me, is this a friend of yours? Is he surrounded as well? And there he's saying, this is my wife. And I said, do you like her? It's like, this is your chance to get rid of her. And he's like, no, I love my wife. So apparently, at least on that day, Bill Clinton loved Hillary Clinton. Wow. And we, we allowed her up. And then I told my people to escort her off the, off the grounds. I said, take care of her. So they walk away with her. And then one of my security staff comes back up to me and says, when you said take care of her, did you mean to kill her or did you mean to make sure she gets in the car? And I said, I meant to make sure she makes it off the property alive. And they're like, oh, the guys are going to be really disappointed. I said, well, go catch up to them before they do something dumb. So he ran off. And then eventually he came back and he goes, yeah, they were disappointed. They thought you meant the other. 
And I said, what, do they know her? I went, yeah, everybody knows her. Nobody likes her. Wow. Wow. So this was what, the early 90s, you said? 92. Wow. Holy cow. So And I, I gave, um, I gave Bill a gold coin. I said, do you know what this is? He goes, I certainly do. I said, well, give me a call. I said, and he said, can I, can I get any high wizard? I said, yeah, you can get anybody. It doesn't have to be me. So what I heard, because he didn't call me, but I heard what he traded that in was on uh, some girl he thought was pretty. Really? He had sex with some girl over a gold coin. I'm just like, you're Bill Clinton. You could have gotten that anyway. Wow. Yeah. You, I thought you were going to say he used it to become president. and But no, he's just on a, another <laughs> woman. <laughs> yeah, just another woman. Oh, man. Well, that's some crazy stuff. Holy cow. So you've had some uh, run-ins with high-ranking people. Uh, let me ask you this. With all that stuff that you just shared and everything that you shared with us today, is there any chance that your life is in danger for this kind of stuff? I always wonder that. <laughs> I, um, you know, one of the things that, that I feel is I feel that I'm safer walking down a road with the bullets whizzing by and all of that because, you know, I've got Jesus, I've got the Holy Spirit, I've got God, I've got the Blessed Mother, I've got angels, I've got saints. You know, I mean, if I'm going to hide in the dark, who's going to find me? Because who else is hiding in the dark? The devil's in the dark. And the devil will find me first because he'll turn around and I'll be right there. Where I am, though, is out in the light. Well, who doesn't want to come out in the light? The devil. So that's what I figure my job is, is to grab him in an ankle lock and just drag him right out into the light so everybody can see him works at all. Um, you know, I will not die one second sooner or later than what God says I'm going to. And if the Illuminati or the devil decides to kill me, especially if I'm out doing what I'm hired to do, I die a murder. That's positive. You know, in the Catholic Church, we believe in purgatory. So you die a martyr, you get to skip purgatory. That's a positive. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. I, I always tell people that, you know, I'm pretty secure in uh, this the life after this one. And... Uh, I don't fear death. I, I do fear how I'm going to die. Is it going to be a bolt to the head or <laughs> cancer or things like that? But uh, death itself doesn't fear me. It's just the, the process of death maybe makes me a little right. anxious, you know? <laughs> uh, but, you know, you mentioned that you were in the Illuminati. Uh, is that something that comes with the high wizardry or is that something separate that totally yeah. happened? No, that's... Um... That well, it, World Church of Satan is connected to the Illuminati, but if you're the High Wizard, you're automatically in. You have to work. You have to work with them. There's so much stuff that they do that's political, and you are like Bohemian Grove is run by the Illuminati. They have the uh, Freemasons run their security staff, and at least the outside security staff, 
And, um, you know, so everything that happens there is Illuminati run. If you didn't work with the Illuminati, you pretty much couldn't be at the Grove. You know, uh, the Bilderberg group is run by the Illuminati. Um, you know, there's so many of the conspiracy type groups that are all, almost everything is connected through the Illuminati. And I, I was the high wizard for 12 years. So for the 12 years, I worked with the Illuminati as well. And that's who, when you, um, when you're helping rock stars sell their souls, which is, I got to tell you, it's impossible. You can't sell what you don't own. But, you know, I didn't know that when I was 13. And, um, you know, everything that you're doing to, to help a rock star become who it is they become is through the Illuminati. Wow. So this thing runs deep. This runs a lot deeper than I thought. But, you know, when, when I'm at my talks a lot of times, because I always ask, um, how many people here believe you can sell your soul? Usually at least half the people raise their hand. And a lot of times, you know, I'm visually impaired. So I have uh, an assistant that sits next to me and I'll ask that person, what kind of car do you have? You know, whatever they own, I say, who here can legally sell me this guy's Mitsubishi Galant? You know, and and no one raises their hands. I'm like, well, why not? And they're like, because it doesn't belong to us. I said, right. I said, you might have heard that God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You don't own it. You can't lease it, loan it, let someone borrow it, and you certainly can't sell it. You might have heard that Satan's a liar. He will lie to you and tell you he owns it. All you have to do, because all you can do, is give your will to the devil. All you got to do is give your will back to God. Now, the devil wants to do is get you to despair. Don't despair. It's just that simple. Give your will back to God. Don't give your will to the devil. It's a funny ministry I've got because basically my ministry is about common sense. My ministry basically tells you to avoid the devil and run towards God. I have a job because I have a ministry because of Harry Potter. And it's like, avoid these things that are bad, run towards these things that are good. That's pretty much all you got to do. It's a, it's a simple thing. It's just sometimes people don't realize that life is that simple. Sure. And, you know, you, you reference Harry Potter there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Harry Potter? Just, you know, just a random question, because I, I know in uh, the Christian community and stuff, there are some people who believe that, you know, Christians should not be reading Harry, Harry Potter books, that they actually do have real uh, magic spells in them. Have you ever heard of that? Well, from being in uh, Satanism for 26 plus years, from being the high wizard for 12 of those, and for magic being the most fun part of my life uh, for the longest time, I can tell you that all the spells in Harry Potter are real. The other two fun facts I have about Harry Potter is that 
there was an interview with J.K. Rowling's where she admitted that one third of her research went into occult books because she wanted the books to be authentic. So she put spells in her book that people thought were real at one point. And she says in the interview, of course they weren't, but people believed they were. And so she took occult books and, um, and put legitimate spells in them. Now, again, let's go to 33 verses in the Bible and tell you not to do these kind of things. And all the kids and some of the adults, I would imagine, that read these books wanted those spells to work. And to make a spell work, you need repetition, intention, and demonic presence. So I've talked to some kids that say, hey, you know, these spells must not be real because I've tried them over and over again and they don't work. But I've also talked to kids that say that they've tried these spells over and over again and they work every time. Well, you've got seven books and eight movies. That's repetition. Every kid that read them wanted those spells to work. That's intention. You just needed a demon presence and you've got a working magic spell. So that's, that's one of my fun facts. I got one more that's better than that. Um, have you ever heard of a priest named Father Chad Ripperger? No, I don't think I have. Okay. He is um, an FSSP priest. That's Fraternal Society of St. Peter. So they do the Latin Rite Mass. It's um, Latin Mass. So it's uh, everything's in Latin except the homily. And the homily would be like the sermon, and that's in English. Um, but Father Ripperger is an exorcist. And a couple of years ago, he did, um, him and a team were doing an exorcism of a particular person. And when the demon manifested, he bound it in the name of Christ and asked it to identify himself. And the demon identified himself as one of the six. And Father Ripperger did not know what that meant. No one in the room knew what that meant. Who is one of the six? What? what one of the six that did what? And the demon identified himself as um, J.K. Rowling's through automatic writing asked that she write a hit series. So six demons possessed J.K. Rowling so that she could write her hit series. And she did. Wow. So it was her body that wrote Harry Potter, but it wasn't her mind. Six demons wrote Harry Potter. That is a crazy story. It certainly is. You're really dumping it all here on the show tonight. <laughs> you know, uh, I would like to ask you about the churches that you were breaking up. Uh, one you did you did hit on it with how you did it. It was uh, something to do with finances, um, sex, or um, uh, gossip, right? Right. Okay. So, with those kind of things, 
Is that what people would need to look for in their church if they if they were trying to? I, I don't know how prevalent this is in churches, by the way, but you know, if, if somebody had a suspicion, how would they go about looking for signs that somebody might be doing what you used to do? Well, the the another financial scandal would be you're basically looking for missing money, but you know, generally when that happens, it's generally a one-time, one-shot deal. You know, it, it's, it'd be like almost like a mega church that loses a collection plate or, you know, a deposit, something like that, or even not necessarily a deposit, but, you know, they have like an account that only certain people have access to and suddenly that account gets drained, but it wasn't any of the people that had access to it that drained it. Um, so that would be one. The sex scandal is generally like um, a 15 or 16 year old girl having sex with like the pastor or the minister of music or the minister of youth, something like that. And that girl, chances are, has been raised her entire life to do that. You know, that's her job. You know, this is just a a satanic family or a satanic girl that's doing what she's been hired to do. But the way it looks from the outside is that she was a good church-going girl her entire life, and and you know she was innocent, and this just happened. And a lot of times, you know, the the church's perspective is that well, the pastor is just a man, you know, he fell victim to his carnal lusts or whatever, and they don't see it as a satanic attack or a satanic coven coming in there to to split them up. The, the gossip one is actually the most intricate. Um, a lot of times also with the sex scandal, that girl could have been placed in the church really early on. So she's known her entire life that when she turns 15, she's going to have an affair with this person. And she's been guided to be this way since she possibly was three or four years old. So in the gossip scandal, um, you have somebody that uh, somebody that comes to the church um, presenting themselves as somebody they're not. So they show up. Let's say that they show up through the bank. They buy the most ostentatious house in town, and the bank president is Baptist. So he introduces them to his Baptist church because they're looking for a church to belong to. Um, now, one of the things that they're presenting themselves, I, I say this in my talks, they have rich man problems. Now, rich man problems are different than the problems that me and you have. Rich man problems would be like the house has 12 bays on its garage, but you have 13 cars. Do you build another bay that now isn't going to look right because it's going to be brand new, but the other 12 bays are old? or do you get a carport that doesn't match the 12 bays or do you just leave your car out to the elements? But which one? Because do you leave the limo out or do you leave one of your sports cars? You know, those are expensive paint jobs. And, you know, which is the better option? Rich man problems. Only rich people have those kind of problems. I don't. I don't have 12 cars. So, 
you're presenting those problems to the back president and seeing what you should do. He introduces you to his church. Now, at that time, I don't know if this is still the case or not, but back in the day, Baptist churches ran themselves on committees. The more, the bigger the church, the more committees. And they had committees for everything. Every single thing you could do in that church, there was a committee for it. So, and some of the more important committees, which is kind of sad, but at my church, the three most important committees were choir robes, carpet, and drapes. And once you got this committee, it was for life. If you were the president, you were set for life until you either died or moved away. If you were the vice president, well, that kind of sucked because you really, your position is more of a figurehead. And the only way you can move up is that guy has to die or move. And if he decides he's never going anywhere, you're never moving up. So when I come in or somebody else comes in, they, a lot of times, because they're rich, they get appointed like an honorary position. They get to be on the committee. You don't really have any power, but it's kind of like, a, we're glad you're here. Why don't you join this committee? And eventually you'll get to know everybody. And then maybe you'll start your own committee or get into another committee. But it's kind of like just an honorary position. And I'm good with that. Because my position in reality, I got to get to know everybody because I'm going to split this search up later. So I get into this committee. And the first time that I'm there, I'm going to introduce myself to the president, to the vice president. I'm going to pay attention to how everybody interacts. I've been trained how to pick up on all this stuff. So I've been trained that when the president says something, the vice president rolls his eyes. So I know there's a problem between them. So I'm going to go out. I'm going to hang out with the president. I'm going to hang out with him for the day. We take him fishing. And um, we take him out on my new bass boat. We're going to hang out together. And I'm going to find out how he says stuff. Like, is there a certain way maybe he says something and then hey, he might even say something like um, the... Uh, I don't like the way these people do things, but it's all good. All right. And I hang out with him all day. So I find out it's all good is a regular phrase that he says. I'm good with that. So then I hang out with the vice president about a month later. And while I'm talking to him, I give him a blatant lie. Tell him, I'm new here, and I don't really want to start any trouble. Big lie. Um, but I was talking to the president. He said, you're a shift lazy bastard, but it's all good. Well, the president didn't call him a shift lazy bastard. But he does end all his phrases with, but it's all good. Vice president's got a problem with him to begin with. And I just said, but it's all good. So he knows. And sorry, bastard, probably did say that. Probably may or may not say something back to me. 
But I'm still going to go back to the president and say something that the vice president probably didn't say. And I'm going to keep this going back and forth. But I'm also going to drag the uh, rest of the members of the committee into this. And everybody's going to hear the same type thing. Basically, please don't tell anybody anything because I don't want to start anything. Now, if anybody at any time would have decided to ask somebody else, did you say this to Zach? No. And that would have ruined everything I was trying to do. But no one ever did that. So after I have stirred a little bit here and stirred a little bit there and put a lid on it and let it simmer for a little bit, now I go to the Baptist preacher. I tell him, I'm new here and don't want to start any trouble. But this is what's happening at your church. And now this time, I tell him the truth. Every conversation is spot on truth. Because he is going to go behind me and ask everybody, did you say this? Did you say that? Did you do this? Did you do that? Everybody will tell him the truth. They got nothing to hide. They're going to be honest. And now he realizes he's got a problem. And now, here's what the devil counts on. He is going to go, we set this up perfectly. This is something, do not think the devil fell off the turnip truck yesterday. The devil has been planning this a long time. This entire situation is set up where that if the president would step down, that would solve the position. That would solve the problem. Everything would go away. The entire problem would be gone. But the president knows that this was a popularity contest and he's not going to step down. And the vice president gets pissed off. And the vice president quits the committee. And when he quits the committee, there's a committee split. And that's the goal, is the committee split. Because if the committee splits, there's overwhelming evidence that the church will split. 49% of that church, up to 49%, will leave. The rest of the church will stay. If the church group that leaves can't start a new church in one year, they're not going to. If they do start the church within the year, that church will never grow because there's a scandal attached to it. And the original church will not grow because there's a scandal attached to it. And the person that got the church to split, the person that was there, which is always one person out in the open doing everything and a group of Satanists behind the scenes doing everything else. When the church splits, all the Satanists leave and no one bats an eye because 49% of the church left not suspicious 
And this kind of stuff happens on a regular basis all the time. Wow. Wow, that's that's some in-depth look at how that thing goes. That's incredible. Uh, Zachary, before we get out of here, I would really like it if you would tell people how they could get a hold of you. I think you have a YouTube channel, right? I do. Um, my website is allsaintsministry.org. If you, you can go on YouTube and enter the name Zachary King, my YouTube channel will come up, as well as there's uh, tons of interviews. I have most of my videos are giving you warnings of things to avoid, or if you've done something dumb, how to, how to correct it, you know, how to do something better. Um, you know, and a lot of the videos are just as I described before, you know, avoid the devil, run from the devil, run towards God. Um, as well as, you know, I have tons of interviews on, on the internet. Um, I, if you Google search my name, or Google search Zachary King, former Satanist. There's um, LifeSite News, Life News, Lepanto Institute, um, Church Militants, um, tons of places where there's um, articles or interviews written about me. There's also other uh, radio interviews or podcasts and uh, things like that. On my website, there's some interviews that are of adult content and they're labeled as adult content or mature audiences, something like that. And then there's other stuff that is um, all ages type information, things like that. On my website, I have a store. So I have things that can be bought. If you're in a pro-life group and you're wanting to shut down an abortion clinic, uh, my CD set tells you uh, through spiritual warfare, how to shut down abortion clinics. We shut down in the last two years, we've shut down 40 clinics. Um, we have, as I said, I have a, a book that I'm trying to come out with. I have a GoFundMe page. Um, it's on my Twitter. It's on my, my Facebook and, and all these things are connected to my, uh, my website and on the main page of my website. Um, I do talks all around the world. I have a calendar page that tells you where I'm going to be. I have an email address and a phone number in case you're wanting me to come to your church and talk or a conference and talk. Um, you know, I've been doing this for about nine years. So, Before we started this interview, I did tell you the story of what I, what I experienced at that one guy's house when I went over there to talk to him about God. Uh, for the audience's sake, right. could you share with them what you think was happening that day with me? Sure. Um, I think the guy set you up. I think he wanted you to come over. Um, you know, I'm not even sure that the, the story he told you to get you to come there to begin with was even true. Um, you know, saying that he was going to kill himself and all of that. Um, I would say that he just told you whatever he thought he could tell you to bring you over. Um, the way that he hugged you and he released his breath, I think he was trying to do a spell over the a demon would leave his body and enter yours. Um, he was going for possession, but you're a Christian. Um, you know, getting a Christian possessed is sometimes a very hard thing to do. You know, the closer you are to God, you know, the, the, well, the closer you are to God, the more satanic attack you should endure because, you know, Satan doesn't want you close to God. But also the, the less damage it does, uh, the more, 
you know, the more spiritual armor you can put on, the less damage you'll have. So I think he tried to get you possessed. From what you tell me, either you felt like you had some separation from God for a little bit, I would say you probably got oppressed, you know, but I quite possibly, as I, as I explained to you, this could have been God showing you this, these are things that can happen and him bringing you more into what spiritual warfare is because ultimately you didn't end up separated from God. You know, you just ended up with a little satanic attack, you know, and the devil is very limited to what he can do. So many people are afraid of the devil that you have to think of that. that we have uh, Padre Pio who used to say that, um, that the devil is like a barking dog, but he's on a leash. If you don't get within that leash length, he can't get you. He goes, well, I, I like to think of the devil as a cabinet and God as a cabinet maker. Why would you be afraid of a piece of furniture? He didn't make himself. God made him. You know, he's worthless and he's an idiot. You know, I read the Bible and I skipped ahead to the last chapter. He loses. You know, so don't be afraid of him. You know, he's nothing. You know, what's his power? Well, he could disrupt our radio interview the first time. And then you call back and the interview went fine. Ooh, he had a lot of power there, didn't he? <laughs> you know, so I, 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 don't, I don't think ultimately that, I, I don't believe that the guy converted to Christianity. I think he just wanted you there to try and mess with your day. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's something that uh, is nice to hear coming from you just because those are some of the conclusions that I came to through just, you know, my own independent research on it, uh, you know, very limited. But I came to the conclusion that he was probably trying to release something, uh, for lack of better terms, into my life by the way he hugged me and breathed. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you, you live and you learn. And it's definitely was something that pushed me into trying to understand this stuff more often than I used to. Uh, I, have, I have a grandfather, he's passed now, but he used to travel around doing ministry. And he's told me miraculous stories, miraculous healings and things that God used him for. And, you know, if that's, if that's going on, if that's real, and then there's this other stuff that's going on that's real where this guy's trying to, you know, maybe have a demon possess my body, there's clearly a clash. There's clearly uh, warfare going on in the unseen realm. And uh, it, this situation paired with my background of my history with my family and, and my grandfather, it really woken me up to the realization of there is real spiritual warfare going on. And, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, it, God used it as a teaching tool, you know, and, uh, you know, that, that's the way I look at it myself. It's something that I definitely, what I, I wouldn't choose to go through it, but it's definitely something that going through it, I can look back on and, you know, be educated on some things. Right. And, and if, you know, something else happens and you have any curiosity, my job is to help you. So you have any questions, you can email me, you can call me. Anybody that's in your listening audience, you're having problems, spiritual warfare is an issue. Spiritual warfare is an issue whether you know it or not. You know, you're all involved. You just may not know it. Um, you know, give me a call or give me an email. 
know, allsaintsministry.org. Mysticforgod at yahoo.com is my email address. 802-578-6554. Crazy talk. I just gave my phone number out over the air. That <laughs> everywhere. My phone numbers are my phone numbers everywhere. I can't escape it anyway. So. That's true. I, I can vouch for that. I mean, it wasn't hard to get a hold of you. I, I found you. I think I Googled your name, went to your website, found the email, emailed you, and your assistant or you emailed me back pretty much right away. And uh, so you are very accessible. So anybody who's interested in communicating with you, uh, just follow one of the paths that he laid out for you because he will contact you back. So uh, Zachary, I really appreciate you talking to me tonight. My pleasure. I had a great time. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions or comments, go ahead and shoot Zachary an email or even give him a call. He did give out his number, but I would ask that you please respect his time if you're going to go ahead and try calling him. If you have anything that you'd like to share with me, go ahead and shoot me an email. You know my email address by now. It's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the connection section, and you can reach me that way as well. I hope you guys have a great week. Stay safe. Take care. And I'll see you right here next Saturday night on The Confessionals. It's hard to talk about. In the hip hop culture, in the hip hop culture, everybody believes in heaven. By and large, nobody goes to hell. When I die, I wanna go to hell Cause I'm a piece of mess and it ain't hard to tell I don't wanna go to heaven with the goodies Man, I wanna go to hell with the dudes and black goodies For the money and the power, why would he? I don't know Why I put him in the places said that he ain't wanna go Ain't no promise for tomorrow, Lord, the mercy on my soul yeah. Man, we sick of blowing smoke Man, we push us, we ain't politicians So naturally they got a problem with it Hate to be the bearer of the bad news But like I said, this ain't just my opinion Let's take the murder in the Beatles story They shot child in the dark prematurely Heavy heart up there for all these loved ones They shot him dead before he reached his voice He wrote a note, oh, it's Jesus for me I just wanna know if God is real It's a quote and it's been reported if he is, then I want out of hell It's such a shame when it gets distorted Yeah, we talking about bail It's so unfortunate that he departed I pray we never change if it's out of fear yeah. All these misconceptions Head in my direction Looking for an answer Which way do I go? All my imperfections Can we find an answer? Talk around it in the soul fair. I thought America was land out of free. Can't talk about it in the public square. Keep it to yourself like a private eye. Nobody talk about it till it's homicide. They only seem to talk about his love. Look, nobody talk about the other side. Huh? I'm not a judge, only God is. I cannot pretend to know what pop is. I cannot pretend to know what poem is. All I know is death is like a pop quiz yeah. Where do I go when I finish here? What if I repent and say the sinner's prayer? Yeah. What happens when I disappear? Hell. How can the loving God send us there? All these-
of God and it's not enough to say it happens in this world what happened to Hitler in this world what happens to many in this there are there are murderers running free today about whom we know nothing and they'll never get caught they are quite happy to be doing all of the crime why not go and have a shootout after a funeral if there is no hell but on the other hand if I'm told by my mother don't put your hand into that flame it will burn it's a natural law at work. There is a spiritual law at work too. You determined to live apart from God and you will spend your eternity in precisely that way. I'm afraid that we got soft. God is not a villain that the monks is broke. What about the people that are never heard? All I know is everybody's held accountable. All I know is he's a judge and he judges right. It's what I told him all on the other night. If you believe when you break the law, you can go to jail. When you breaking the law, 